There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and welcome to another Business Elevation Show on Voice America and it's brilliant to be back with you again and great to hear the uh, the new uh, music for the show as well that was uh, created by the composer Owen O'Sullivan uh, who, uh, who's, who's created music for things like Steve, for Steven Spielberg and people like that so it was brilliant to have him and do that for me and on last week's show uh, we had Owen, we also had Libby Wagner and Stephen Morris and we were talking about about coaching and about how to find the right coach for you and with them all being artists so in's a musician libby's a uh, a poet steve's an artist uh, and also they're all leadership and business experts it was just great to get uh, with my perspective from having coached many years to have this conversation about you know what is the ideal characteristics of a coach for you and i think one of the conclusions was you need to find the right person for for, for what you're wanting to do you know someone who's maybe been there can help you ask the right questions is also emotionally connect with you as well you can build rapport who comes from the right place lots of different thoughts and ideas and we also talked about the artistry that is coaching you know coaching is more than certifications uh, they may be helpful they may not but actually a coach or a mentor who's got years of experience um, like Dean, who I'm going to introduce you to shortly, who's actually been there, done it, built a business. And those sorts of people, um, I think, are often you know, much more helpful in this space than uh, somebody who's just been through a process and, uh, and, and asked questions. So have a listen to that show if you're interested. I can't believe it's May. Um, I've been very inspired this week. It's uh, the 1st of May. And a friend of mine said to me, you know, Chris, do you want to come out and uh, and run at dawn and see the, the May Day sunrise? He's a... Uh, He's a um, writes. Um, he's an author. He writes um, books about sort of folklore. And um, we got up early. Um, I met him um, by a beautiful park in Leicestershire, and we were up there running around as the the sun uh, gradually rose. And we took some great photos. And uh, if anyone's heard of Morris dancers, uh, you may not have heard of them outside of the UK, perhaps um, maybe in, into Europe. Um, but these uh, guys in traditional kind of costume are up on the. Uh, the top of a, a, a big peak and were, were dancing um, at uh, 7 a.m. in the morning. It was quite a surreal experience to be there. So um, from that sort of inspirational uh, moment, um, you may also know that um, I'm in, busy in training at the moment for a quadrathlon, uh, which is uh, a very tough endurance event in Scotland. And I've gone from being a bit overweight a couple of weeks years ago, not very fit, to trying to transform myself and elevate my fitness and uh, through this journey and through uh, a great mutual friend of ours, uh, Jane Hansom, who uh, uh, in 2016 was a world Ironman and ultramarathon, sorry, Ironman and, um, uh, and triathlon champion, I was introduced to Dean Jackson, who I think today is just going to be an astonishing guest. So let's talk about um, the Hoop story and about innovation and have a conversation with Dean, because Dean is someone who's really, um, I think, brings value to a conversation about disrupting an industry and has brought a very fresh and very innovative approach uh, to uh, creating a business um, called um, Hoop. And 
Uh, I'm keen really to talk to him today about uh, that sort of creation. And what Dean's done as being a very passionate himself about uh, triathlon is he's created a new sporting brand. It started in 2011 and it utilizes um, technology and also research to design clothing and accessories that really deliver you know, performance enhancement. Uh, the initial focus was on wetsuits, which are sported some of the, by the, now by some of the world's top triathletes, and that includes Olympians such as Alistair and Johnny Brownlee, who are very famous here over in the UK. Um, and this phenomenal success amongst elite and non-professional triathletes resulted in Hoop securing, in their first five years, a 30% share of the UK wetsuit market. And they've got presence uh, within five years in over 20 other countries. I know that's expanding further. Their products have won Best Try Wetsuit, Wetsuit Brand of the Year from 2013 to 2018, in addition to multiple Best Try Wetsuit uh, Brand Awards. So a huge welcome to my guest today, uh, Dean Jackson. Good afternoon, Chris. Good to speak to you. And Dean, I tend to like to just ask uh, people um, where where they're speaking from because we have guests on this show from all over the world so where, where do you live and uh, i'm smack bang in the middle of the uk in derby and, and normally i have to explain that as a city that's next to nottingham but such is the football rivalry i'd rather say nottingham's the city next to derby but i'll give you an idea of the geography mate <laughs> so, so yeah think think central england uh, uh, if you if you know the uk if not get get your map books out and have a look so derby is uh, it's got a football team. What's Derby known for besides the football team? Anything? Well, this is where the um, the first Rolls-Royce cars and Bentley cars were produced. And then that, that evolved. It's aero engines now. Um, most of the aero engines around the world that are Rolls-Royce stamped are produced in Derby. And railway, due to being the centre of the UK, it's where the railway uh, hub, uh, where innovation came from. Um, and it's also the very first factory in the world is across from our offices. And, and really the start of the Industrial Revolution, and certainly anything that was involved around textiles and weaving. Oh, okay, so they did they process them up in Derbyshire, they were the kind of the, the mills, weren't they, that started due to the Industrial Revolution. Did, uh, did those mills kind of then um, provide the supply for... Um, you know, clothes main manufacturer in Derby. Is that where that came from? Yeah, that, that's right. And, and a lot of innovation you know, around the weaving technologies and the flying shuttle and all the stuff we learned about at school. Uh, yeah, it's all, it's all from the, the Derbyshire central core of the UK. Excellent. Some beautiful countryside outside of Derbyshire as well, if you ever get the chance to, to go there. Um, so uh, we're going to talk a bit about, you know, innovation. And I, I also want to chat about some of your business and ideas and tips because when I met you I, I, I met you over at your offices and I was quite blown away by the environment you work in and in your very sort of creative flair and, and I'm really interested just before we we start to move into all of that to find out a little bit about your childhood Dean and 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 you know what what kind of influenced you uh, I know you, you told me that you were you're from a family of Jehovah's Witnesses so I don't know if people know much about that so tell us a bit about that childhood and, and and how did it impact you today yeah well i'm not going to start preaching or suggest everyone goes out and buys a watchtower or awake but um <laughs> yeah I, I was uh i was raised a jehovah's witness which was which was interesting because at school we would go into the you know the assembly where you'd all gather in the mornings and, and the whole class would go in but i would go in later after they'd done the religious piece so um yeah it, I, I was quite protected um, I guess one good side of not having Christmases 
and not having birthdays was it makes you very observant of what goes on around you and what, I guess, look at what you could have had and look at what you could have won type thing. And uh, I, I, I just spotted what was going on in retail and you'd get your mail order catalogs, obviously long, long before the internet. And I was just completely obsessed with um, products and toys and, and the value of things. And, you know, the television was very simple. We had three channels. And there was a, I tell you, there was a fantastic program, Chris. Um, for those in the UK will remember a program called Swap Shop. Mm. And this was a TV show where you said, I have um, a GI Joe for me trying to get transatlantic here, a GI Joe figure, and I'd like to swap that for a Space Invaders game. And it was a local TV celebrity who would host this show on a Saturday morning. And I used to sit there and just understand if that was a good deal or a bad deal. Was G.I. Joe worth 10, 10 pounds? Was that Space Invader game worth 15 pounds? And part of that as childhood really, really taught me how to, shall we say, trade that and um, football cards, soccer star cards, baseball cards. Uh, in the playground, you, you were trading cards. And if you had multiple of a card, you'd want to get rid of it and swap it for something and try and trade up. And I'm still convinced some of the best traders will have worked in the playground and traded cards, stickers, football medals, all that kind of stuff. You spend a fortune on those things as well. I remember that as a kid. Yeah. And they're supposed to supposed to have all had the same level of supply as well, but there was always some somebody that uh, nobody could get hold of to finish Absolutely. the pack. Um, you just so you were just telling us there. You, you mentioned there about. Um, that you were a Jehovah's Witness and that um, background, and that you would come into assembly after everybody else, and everybody would kind of look at look at you. And and you also mentioned something about you said your sister got knocked over, and then I think we just lost you in the break okay. there. So I don't know what, what what you said there. What was uh... yeah? So um, my my sister was unfortunately killed in an accident when she oh, was with a bicycle crossing a zebra crossing, um, oh. a truck, and um, it, it with a, as a family we moved away from the area that we knew to another part of the city. And I guess it, it brings you close together, and I was very protected. I had an, an older brother, um, and I also had a younger brother who, who was born, you know, three weeks after my sister had passed. So, you know, we, we were still quite a young, small family. Um, and that kind of brought the faith. It was more important in our lives. And in those days, being a Jehovah's Witness, your Sunday, your Tuesday night, and your Thursday night were very committed uh, to the religion. And as I got older sport played a part and I due to being dyspraxic I could not play football or team sports or passable or coordinate for anything it was just not happening but the teachers saw a talent in running and anything that was endurance or aerobic base so they'd send me to run around the fields and let me get on with it and that grew into a passion for wanting to run for the city and for the county or equivalent to state I guess uh, but the religion got in the way because most of the competition was Sunday mornings and training was a Tuesday or a Thursday. So as, as, as I got older, 15, 16, I kind of found my own path and took more to the sport rather than religion. But that doesn't mean to say there's no faith still inside. But it, that was kind of a pivotal direction of when a teacher at school says to you, you have a talent for this, let's go and do something with it. And I, and I think I still say that's one of the reasons I'm here today is I, I found a, a sporting pathway, which was still a, a healthy pathway to have taken. I mean, it's, it's interesting you, you you talk about that because I think uh, what I've certainly realised through my 
you know, my, my desire, call it as my wife said, a midlife crisis to, to do this quadrathlon, what it's actually done is uh, it, it's put me into a community so I've not, that I've not really been a part of. So I've got friends that I run with, I swim with, cycle, kayak, and um, I, and that's been really, really fascinating to join that community. Uh, so my social life is now about meeting to go for a run or a swim or a cycle and meeting someone in the, in the pub. Um, but you must have, you know, in, in that Jehovah's Witness, you've got quite a quite a close-knit community. Did you find that uh, sport then provided you with another community to to join that sort of sat with your values and direction and who you wanted to be? No, 100%, because obviously when you're tied into, well, not tied in, but you're part of a, a religion, and, and people tell me now Jehovah's Witnesses is a cult, but we never kind of really saw it as that. Um, you, know, you, you tend to have a certain type of person who you're um, socializing with and hanging out with and there's no beer involved and the parties were all based around bomb dancing and no disco music was allowed and all that kind of stuff and when, when you get to the point of, of going down a running club and meeting new friends from different backgrounds and different beliefs and, and just different expectations from life it uh that that was almost like a social eye-opener for me and uh, and I think it it, um, it made me very t- very tolerant and acceptable and non-judgmental of everybody really. And the thing with running, it was and is it's the most accessible sport out there. You just need a pair of shorts that don't fall down and a pair of shoes that don't give you blisters, and away you go. Um, you, you can just crack on with it. And th- that introduced me to a whole world of, of I say, socialising friends and a friend network that I still have to the, to this day. And, and, and did you? I mean, I can imagine that it also helped you with, you know, sort of appreciating diversity, being part of a community like the Jehovah's Witnesses. But it must also, you, does it, has it helped you in terms of, you know, moving and overcoming obstacles? Because uh, certainly we're similar age. And I remember if the you know, Jehovah's Witnesses were coming down, we suddenly sort of ducked down, dived down in the living room <laughs> and pretend we weren't in because they were knocking at the door. So I can imagine a little bit of prejudice that you had to deal with as, uh, as being part of that community. Yeah, it's weird. When I, when I left school, I, I, I decided I was going to become the UK's first qualified male nanny. And everyone's looking at me going, why would you do that? That's really weird. That's odd. Why would you want to do it? But to me, it was, well, it was something I wanted to do. And I guess all those school assemblies have been stared at walking in the door late. Well, you keep staring at me anyway, so I'll go, I'll go and do something. And I'm not phased by it. And then, and then since set up a running shop on my own with a business, well, with a business partner when I was 19, and yeah, it just didn't phase me. I guess if you can walk down a, a, a stranger's um, driveway and knock on their door and try and have a conversation with them, then to go and ask the bank for some money or to open a store or talk to a running club, it just doesn't matter, does it? It's, it's you know, it's easy. It's great, great grounding. We've got, got about a minute to commercial break, but what, why wetsuits? Um, it, 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 it was, I was taken there through uh, running shoes to bicycles to wetsuits just through my, my career. And I ended up in wetsuits and saw that no one was innovating. It was a stepping stone career and a stepping stone industry that people were using to move on into the sports trade. I thought, hang on a minute. I can make a real difference here and change things where everybody has become very complacent and they're doing nothing to innovate or change the space. Yes, well, we're going to, after, after the break, we're going to come back and find out a little bit about, about Hoob and and really some of the principles that I think are valuable to anybody who's got a business, 
um, anybody who is um, or, or wants to be a, a brand or a thought leader is, you know, how do you make yourself different? How do you think do things differently such that you you stand out? And I think this is something that uh, that Dean and Hube uh, are doing really, really well. You know, even in a you know what was a probably a fairly mature market is um, is uh, standing out by doing something different that's innovative and creative. So do do join us after the break. We'll talk more about that in just a couple of minutes. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential chris cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the achiever program one-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Dean Jackson. We're talking about the hoop story, about innovation, and some of the wisdom that uh, Dean has had from his uh, experiences. Uh, Dean, I know, in the last um, week, so he's been in Indonesia, China, Belgium. He's he's all over the place. He's back in the UK at the moment. So, you know, what is hoop, and uh, why is it taking you to such uh, exciting places? What is Hoob? Um, yeah, Hoob <laughs> began as a way to pay the mortgage and look after my four kids uh, <laughs> after redundancy. But um, I think I think Hoob is a manifestation of what I've seen from the sports industry and what I've seen is certainly missing in the triathlon industry over my 32 years involvement within that space. And it's, it's a desire to create a true, good, honest brand. I've, I've worked for brands in the past where We've made claims about products that perhaps should have been greater researched and rely on feedback from, you know, sponsored and paid athletes as to their opinion on a product, which isn't always going to have a bias. 
And I, I just wanted to make sure we had a, a product and a business fun to work for that was well researched and, and stood on the three the, the three pillars of research, science and reality, which which I call my milking school stool for rough ground, basically. Excellent. I mean, interesting just to expand upon, you know, how who got its name. So, um, yeah, the, the, the company, I wanted to have a generic name so I could move into other worlds if, if triathlon didn't work out. And it was originally going to be called Flynn. I'm a big Tron fan, especially the new Tron movie. And if you look at the design of some of the suits, you'll see call-outs in there. And uh, they have Flynn's Arcade. And whilst we were on holiday in the States, my, my, my daughter said, oh, there's a program on that talks about Flynn. And I don't think it's very uh, supportive of, of what you're trying to do. And she, she knew I'd been working with Professor Hoob Toussaint. We had a battle at my previous company that I worked for with the governing body of swimming over the rubber suits and suit wars and all that kind of stuff. And my, my go-to expert was Professor Hoob. And my daughter just said, why don't you call it a Hoob? And I got the pen out and I got a napkin out, which is very stereotypical of starting a new brand. We wrote it out, uh, looked it up the meaning, and it's Germanic, and it means bright mind. And that was it. it. It had to be Hoob. And it was also very nice and generic. And it had that Germanic feel to it, which we all know leads to quality engineering and uh, well thought out design. Be like, yeah, yeah, like, be like a BMW Audi. Just has that, just have that exactly. feeling of the quality. Yeah. yeah. When, I, when I visited the office, I was, I was, I was inspired. I love looking around at culture, and you know, my thing is, um, I look, you know, pe- people and how people impact business, and and, and your office uh, was um, was different. You know, your office is like a, it's like a man cave. It's um, got toys and reminders of your childhood, and yeah. and I could see that you. You, know, you think you think differently, and you take inspiration from all sorts of sources. So, you know, tell us a little bit about that, and you know how that's led to maybe some you know, innovation within the, the space that you operate. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's like I said when I when I grew up, I, I spent a lot of time looking in at what others had, and it may be because we didn't celebrate birthdays or Christmases. I just never had as much stuff, which I think allowed the imagination also to run a little bit wild, which was a good thing. And when you're in a position to be able to afford those things when you're older, or you just want to get a hold of uh, an Astro Wars electronic handheld game just to remember what it was like, or maybe how bad or rubbish it was, or you were on it, um, I, I just wanted to surround myself with it. And then I, then I found myself wandering around Toys R Us, picking up Hot Wheels cars, and they were inspiration for designs. We have an Aries 2 wetsuit, and all the design emphasis is on the thighs of the swimmer and elevating them in the water. And that was based on Captain America's turbojet Hot Wheels car that I saw in a pack, and I turned the car on its side, and that looks like a human standing up. And that, that was just an idea for a complete new product, for the way it looked. And, and I, I just figured the people who design toys – are tapping into the imagination of themselves and the imagination of children, and there's nothing more exciting than the imagination of children. So surely that there's no finer place to start. And so that's why I, I surround myself with retro and memorabilia to try and take me back to those childhood days of what I found exciting. You know, when I, when you when you've got Evil Knievel doing jumps, and when you've got Battlestar Galactica, and you've got Star Wars, you've got to remember the the impact science fiction certainly had. On, on the world and on your life as a kid. And I, I try and keep that constantly alive in the product because we are all big kids at heart and triathletes are all superheroes at heart. 
<laughs> I, I love that. I love I love the way that you you know combine this knowledge that Professor Hoob around he, you know he gave he, he talked to you didn't he about you know, the the research that he's done about the different kind of fabrics and layering and uh, of suits etc. You've taken that 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 research to create an amazing performance enhancing kind of product with uh, some of the unique sort of skin terms that you use within the within the suits. And then, but you've also combined that with an, an element of fantasy. So, you know, some of your wearers feel like superheroes. Does that, has that sort of uh, really sort of translated as well in terms of actual, you know, performance, both in terms of mindset, you know, the actual athletes feeling they're invincible because they're a superhero and also the technology that's uh, in those suits? Yeah, I mean, definitely. And the first time I approached Professor Who with the idea of joining me in the business, I'd, I'd already trademarked his name and I met him at, Amsterdam Airport and I said Professor Who I've I've trademarked your name I'd like to have some shares in my business and help me and he said there's one condition Dean I said you know crack on and he said I'll tell you the scientific benefit and the way to make things better all I ask is you listen to me and put that into practice well that was like a gift Uh, when you have someone of that standing and status offering their knowledge so this is a deal let's shake hands on it and what it also allowed me to do was look at the standard wetsuit on the market that was designed with price cost in mind. They're all very bland with very simple printing because the more screens you had, the more you paid, the more your printing bill. And with the technology, the ideas that who came up with, with Paul Newsom from Swim Smooth, who also worked with me on some of the design elements, we were, we were creating suits that were very different purely on technical merit and technical benefit and scientific research, which then allowed me to, to play fantasy a little bit and superhero because we put these red bicep panels to allow your muscles to expand naturally under different modulus of materials. And we did the same on the calves. And then we put an exoskeleton into the suits to control the movement and the side to side snaking of a swimmer. And before we'd gone in with any printing, we were starting to see an Iron Man exoskeleton super suit before us. And then when I started to put the printing lines down, you know, I got a young 17-year-old who knew his way around, way around um, Illustrator and Photoshopping, and I, I gave him this idea for a, a design. The, the factory came back from China and said it's $5,000 worth of screen printing bills. And anyone else would have run a mile and said, I'm happy at $40, $50. And I said, you know what? This is going to make the suit look so cool. It's going to make middle-aged men look so slim <laughs> and so powerful. We have to do this. So I signed off a $5,000 screen bill. I only had 25,000 pounds to start the business off, but it paid off because we changed the way a wetsuit should look, how it makes you feel, and how it performs. The My other key driver was we'd all like to drive Formula One cars to work every day, but we can't because they're not made for the street. So we'd like a bit of Formula One technology. And so when I'm looking, uh, and that's for overseas, that's a NASCAR technology, I, I guess, in an everyday car. And when I look at wetsuits, the top suits were not necessarily designed for the weakest swimmers. And yet it's the weakest swimmers who really need the help. So I created my top suit, the Archimedes, with two different types of neoprene, two different buoyancy profiles. So the great swimmer that floats on the water naturally and has a good core and, and streamlines like a canoe, they could wear the suit. But then the tubby leg sinker like myself, who's dredging the bottom of the pool, they could also use the suit. Stand them side by side and they look identical. So we're delivering top end product, but with two very different, satisfying two very, very different needs. 
Uh, and it's, it's interesting how, uh, for me, the the kind of word about your suits has got about. So I, I came to see you, and I and I, you gave me some guidance on what sort of suit I should have for my open water. And I bought a, an Ares two of you, which I'm I keep looking at in the box. It's going to go on very shortly because we got some plans to get out and. It's a bit uh, yeah, a bit cold. I'm looking at it with a uh, real desire to wear it. But a friend of mine who I, I swim with said, he said, Chris, I'm thinking about doing some open water swimming. And he said, uh, do you know anything about wetsuits? Because I've heard the best ones and the coolest ones are a hoob. And I said, well, it's funny you should say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been there and uh, they're great people. And I would recommend that's where you buy one from. He said, right, I'm going to do that. Um, so that was quite interesting. It was just completely off. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's, tra- it's translated through, and and sometimes you think your message will never get through, and it's a constant battle. You've got to keep chipping away at it and maintaining standards. That's that's the real tough piece, and then it will get through, and it resonates, doesn't it? It does. And so you've created this uh, amazing sort of suite of uh, of suits, and I know you've you've gone into other going into other sort of apparel as well, and uh, you've got this uh, amazing kind of link in with the Brownlee brothers as well, which uh, who are two kind of icons over here of, of triathlon. Yeah, how, how's that work for you? I mean, that's that transformed my business. Um, yes, you can have influencers online and there's a whole new world of social media and digital marketing, but a good old sponsorship deal of two of the greatest athletes in the sport, uh, that there was a huge gamble for me and when I, when I approached them, I didn't have a wetsuit and their contract was up in 18 months time. And their manager rang me and said, the contract's up, Dean, are you ready? And I said, I am. And I put my bid in and we won. And the boys committed to me before they'd even tried the suit. They just had so much faith. And when we announced it, you know, that we went from half a million to a million pounds uh, in the following year. We doubled turnover. And I put a huge amount of that down to the Brownlee brothers. And and other athletes looking in, and it's a discerning buyer in triathlon. Um, everybody wants to have the very latest and the very best and the best performing. And to see the Brownies wearing it just gave a huge amount of kudos. And uh, this was when I was running the business out of my garage. <laughs> and my front door, there was queues at my front door. People wanted to come and get a suit from the wetsuit man that puts them on the back of the Brownlee brothers. It was bizarre. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Yeah. They, yeah. My, my, my youngest son, I asked him a, a few months ago, well, before I met you, you know, what's, um, you know, what's your vision? What do you want from your life? And he, he completely stunned me. He said, uh, he said, well, dad, I want to be a triathlete. He's only nine. I want to be a triathlete. just like the Brownlee brothers was his first, yeah, first statement. Know. So, uh, you know, get, get them in, get them in young as well. That's a good, uh, aspirational, <laughs> aspirational heroes i think that's that's great it's a great mix and brand for you now i enjoyed when we chatted as well just sort of chatting about some of your philosophies and you know you said in in business one of the important things is to never never doubt yourself and i wonder how this attitude's helped you some overcome some of your challenges and uh, and you know battled against traditional competition but also you know do you have moments when you do doubt yourself and if so how do you get yourself back on track yeah and that's a great question because you know when i started the business and we had a rise to fame and you've got the brownlee brothers and, and i entered a few business awards and we did very well and we we came runner up and uh, the chamber of commerce national small business and everything's great but, but I, I i started developing imposter syndrome which <laughs> i just felt i didn't belong and i thought hang on a minute 
how's this guy from a normal background with not many qualifications managed to find myself here? And then you start thinking it's all luck. Um, you can never do it again. Uh, you, you, you've just been damn lucky. The stars have aligned and just be careful because it's all, everything's going to come falling down around you. Um, and actually I did, I did go and see, um, you know, a, a business coach on that and just helped me through it. And I must say, since I went through that process, it's taught me that you, you actually are pretty brilliant. All of us are inside and we all see things very differently and we have to have confidence in, in what we are and what we do. And the more you lift up the rocks of other companies, other businesses, other people you know that are successful, you understand that they probably feel the same as well. And whilst there's some pure geniuses out there that see the world very differently, sometimes you, if you just believe in yourself and it's your perseverance, it's your desire to win and, and the support of those around you, which is absolutely vital that they're, they're part of it with you then you can achieve it because there's so many people who say they're going to do it but never do it and it's that dogged perseverance for me that once you start hitting a few i'll, I'll use the term home runs here you you think well i can do i can do that again and i know i'm going to miss up mess up and i know i'm going to make some mistakes but 90 percent of what comes out of here is, is good and is going to work yeah, it's great advice. I've been coaching some people around confidence this week, and I think what most people people don't realise is that most of us, from time to time, go through periods of self doubts. We go through times where you know we maybe we maybe mess things up, or where we we you mentioned your dyspraxia, and I think what we, our conversation around dyspraxia when we met made me realise that that was something that I I've been people have said to me I'm dyspraxic before and I'd never really thought deeply until you explained your symptoms and you described myself um but um we all you know have these characteristics and things about us and uh those people who may have seemed to have supreme confidence have actually been overcome those and just get on with it and they take action and and move move forward um and are not afraid to make mistakes because we all will um we'll all have rocks and obstacles and um but the difference is they just get into action and overcome it and deal with that uh, insecurity as it comes along. Yeah, maybe we maybe we slightly why just a bit differently to not really care too much what other people think unless we want them to think you know that we've done something right and correct. Uh, but if you make a mistake, well, let's just forget that, brush it under the carpet, and, and get up and, and crack on with what's next. And I've had to do it several times in in life. You know, I, I've had a, a, a small running shop business fail on me. Um, I've lost job roles and you can be distraught about it for about 48 hours. I think that's probably what I allowed myself before I started making the plan for recovery. <laughs> Crack yeah. on. And the thing I guess you, you will find now, it, it, you know, we're similar, similar kind of age. And, and I'm the same. If I look back about those incidents, those turning points in my life where maybe I got maybe redundant or something didn't quite work out or I, you know, I messed up the sports shop, uh, didn't, didn't work out. Actually, if you look back on them and you can see the bigger picture, you realize that actually they were helpful stepping stones to where you are now. Uh, did you, have you found the same in your oh, life? 100% because if nothing else, I, I now know the mistakes I really wouldn't like to make. I know the risks that I took were too risky and where I should have focused elsewhere, but it also allows me to look at other businesses that I may have the potential to work with or I desire to work with. And have a little inside track on their true position, their true status, 
And you can talk to an owner of a business and go, no, you're completely fluffing me because actually the position you're in is you're on your knees a little bit. You need some help and we can work together to get you through this or I'll step away because I don't want to get burnt. Um, but it, it's also character shaping. And, you know, if you set out to do something and it works and then the second time it doesn't work, well, you know, OK, the next one there's a 50 50 chance this one might pull off. And it's it's all in the instruction manual to, you know, I kind of, I guess, a successful and fulfilled life in your 40s or your 50s or whatever point that may be. And you just got to understand there's going to be trip ups along the way. Always is. Yeah, well, on, on that note, we're going to uh, get, uh, sort of step over into the commercial break now. But after the break, I want to talk a bit more about, you know, I know uh, Dean, I've noticed, got a real great philosophy that I share about giving. Um, we're going to talk more about innovation. We'll talk more about um, you know, kind of keeping grounded, those sorts of uh, things that are very helpful to people who are developing, growing businesses and moving life forward. So we'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes. So do join us. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper. I'm with Dean Jackson of Hoob. We're talking about innovation. We're talking also about some of the inspirational ideas and ways of being that Dean has has developed during and is become conscious of uh, and operates with during his career. And uh, Dean, one of the things um, you know, I love when I came to see you. You know, I mentioned to you about my my son and sons being into into sport and wanting to be both of them wanting to be triathletes and you very very kindly uh, gave me some signed brownie brothers posters which uh, i was and some great advice on the on the wetsuit and i was really grateful for that and i, I kind of share that philosophy i've been running the show funding it myself for eight years now uh, and I, I very much believe in kind of giving and that sort of generosity of spirit and i think it's why I, I kind of engaged with you and i wonder how you know how um whether that's a philosophy in your in your business um in terms of sort of who you are and how could businesses maybe help people feel more engaged by adopting a similar attitude and approach 
Yeah, it, um, I guess there's two pieces to that. Is When you start a business, there's, there's a lot of people who want to help you and see you succeed and are immensely charitable. Even a bank lending you money, they don't have to do it. And sure, there's a business decision there, but there's also somebody having a bit of faith in your business and that you'll be able to pay it back, etc. And I'm a big believer in you've got to give, give and give, probably until it hurts and you know you've given too much before you should expect anything back. Mm. And we're one of the biggest sponsors in the sport of triathlon. We sponsor more power triathletes than anybody, more juniors. Uh, and I just know that at some point, and he does come back, uh, you know, we get juniors who are now going through to greatness and, and they've been with us, so they'll stay with us. But my main motivation there is to just give someone else a chance and back them and support them. And, you know, there's also, you, you'll have done this where, You'll probably be in the pub or you'll be with friends and they'll go, oh, have you seen, you know, that Jeff, he drives an Aston Martin. He's a right cocky so-and-so and I don't know who he thinks he is. And I saw him in the pub and he, he never nodded at me. And people see negative in such small things. So I like to try and turn that. If I can just do one small thing nice or give someone some posters that I have plenty of, they'll probably go away with a nice positive attitude towards me and my company rather than me ignoring them by accident in a supermarket and then somebody having lots of negative things to say. And that's just the world we're in. And, and I, I, I try and do as much good and nice things as I can. And yeah, cause it's not all about me. It's about everyone else around me. It's about me, my customers, my staff, my team, you know, I'm probably the last person that should figure on it. And, and you're taking tra- nice things in. If you, if you, if you're good, if yeah. you're good. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's interesting as well with, you know, that foundation that you had as a, child with the jehovah's witnesses um i'm sure some of that was you know philosophy about you know being good with others i was at an amazing funeral yesterday i had a guest on the show a few years back now called joy marsden and she was talking to me about her book stepping up and she became a good friend and unfortunately she she died a few weeks ago and i was at her funeral yesterday 400 people there it was just astonishing it was a as an evangelical church she'd been part of but the community the love for her and what I really understood was actually that, you know, though she writes business books and speaks, spoke to business audiences all over the world, actually, uh, and became a national president of the big speaking association over here, you know, her foundations and the way she was actually came from that, um, the, you know, that foundation and her, her, her faith, which uh, is, uh, I don't have the same faith like she has, but uh, it, it uh, helped to be a good person, I think. Yeah. And, and- you know, and I think if you come from a background where you don't expect a lot or have a lot, mm. and then you know you have the opportunity to to help others, you you kind of appreciate everything perhaps a little bit more. You know, right. it's a value we try and me and my wife with with our children. You know, and if we see someone begging on the street, we'll do all we can to help, and we understand there may be reasons why they're there. But the thing is, they just want someone to help them and that's what we try and do you know so it's life and and in business no it's a good a good thing i i completely get to get that and you, any opportunity to come with your children and if you like you know if i came from steel my father was a steel worker and when he was very tight he was on strike and in the steel working sort of strikes for right. didn't have any income for a period of time and you know we kind of made ends meet and he'd work double shifts so we could have holidays but i think that's made me appreciate my life even more uh, from having that foundation but we've also just got to give our you know help our children haven't we to maybe just experience yeah. 
some of that and what life's truly about if they're if they're a little bit privileged especially in a self-obsessed social media world right (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah completely and utterly we all use in business but we have to deal with when we go home yeah, my my first question this morning. My son just turned thirteen today, and he said, "Oh, Dad, that means I can legally have a an Instagram account." No, I've <laughs> <laughs> got that to deal with. I've got that to deal with this evening. Um, but I mean, it's an interesting point, isn't it? How do we, um, you know, keep grounded uh, when you know you're enjoying lots of success with Hoob? You're traveling around the world. You've suddenly got all of these amazing sporting personalities that you support and sponsor. You've become friends, and uh, you know, you're you're. You're, you're still flying high. How do you um, keep yourself grounded, and how do you, um, you know, I guess build a culture as well where your, your staff feel really engaged, but also, you know, highly uh, grounded as well. Yeah, it's um, it, it, it's a really good point. I I was very lucky when I when I lost my job and I decided I was going to set up my own brand. I used to go down to the local British Legion ex servicemen's club with a few friends. And they're all from different backgrounds and I kind of ran out of money and they were buying me drinks and I'm telling about my vision. And they said, don't you worry, wetsuit Willie, which is what they used to call me. When you make it big, we're going to make sure you keep your feet on the ground. And they, they do. We meet in the pub on a Thursday and they just take rip on me constantly. And if I'm in the paper, they tell me how they put the newspaper at the bottom of the rabbit hutch or in the cat litter tray. And they are relentless at making sure Dean doesn't believe his own hype. I can tell you. And so do my family. They, uh, they, they made me a poster and framed it. And it was the, one of the calm down posters. And it said, calm down, I'm building an empire. And, and so if I, get, if I get a little bit work obsessed, they'll tell me the empire can wait. And they, I've got to come back for dinner. So family and friends, they don't all keep you grounded, mate. <laughs> well, and it's, it's helpful too. I'll, I'll never forget on this show having... Uh, Nigel Vardy, who I don't know if you know him, he's, he's, he lives over in Derbyshire, and, and he's uh, a, a mountaineer. And he, right. he he lost, he got caught on the top of a mountain in Alaska, Mount McKinley, and uh, overnight, and uh, had to sleep in a crevasse. And as a consequence, he, he ended up having his fingers and toes and his nose amputated, um, oh. and he was in a very very bad way. And he, he got back over to the UK. Uh, and uh, so he had to have all this, these surgeries over sort of a, 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 over a three-year period. And he said he hit some really, really, really low times. But he said the the thing that got him out of that lowness was when a friend turned up one day at the hospital, and he'd, he'd lost his lost his fingers. And uh, as a gift, um, he had a nail brush. It was like a hippo or something. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing like friends, is there? <laughs> he just said, "Brilliant." Laughed and laughed and laughed and realised, uh, yeah, I should need to get off myself and uh, and get on with life. But that was a turning point. It was a friend that did it. <laughs> you you raised the point as well about about the staff. Um, it, it, whilst whilst it's important, I guess, to keep the staff grounded and me grounded around them, it's also I think for me it's been important to help elevate them to the place that they deserve and should be within the business. Yes. And if we we we, we have a show every year in London, which is a triathlon expo. And we retail at the show and we set targets. And, uh, you know, if you do $2,000 pounds, you, you, you go down to the kebab shop and you get a kebab and then it goes to a, a full subway and it goes to a Burger King. And he goes all the way up to uh, a four-day fully paid for and expensed holiday in 
Spain or Mallorca or Italy or wherever. And we never think they're going to hit the big ticket, the jackpot. We think they're never going to do it. But every year they've hit the jackpot. Wow. So we've taken this year, we're taking everybody away. Um, I won't give the location up because they don't know, but we're going into Europe again, somewhere sunny. And we pay for everything and we give them the time off work. It doesn't come out of the holidays. And we'll get them, you know, VIP passes for the water parks. And we just stack after them immensely because without them, my ideas and dreams and ambition are nothing. And I just need to make sure they can run with me, keep up with me, stay ahead of me. And and if anything, it's elevating their position and grounding mine and helping them realize how important they are to the business. That's, uh, yeah, sounds, sounds wonderful. Sounds a great place to work. I'll be asking if you've got any jobs afterwards. Um, <laughs> so I want, I want to, for your, um, so, you know, there's obviously your, your, you've got an amazing sort of team that you, you're kind of all developing together. And, you know, this isn't just your success, it's their success as well. Uh, and in terms of moving this forward as you have done, but what, what can your wetsuit buyers and, and also, you, you know, distributors are very important as well. What can they expect from you over the next few years? Um, they can expect, uh, you know, a good lesson in discipline because we're on that point now where we've got to grow and we can grow by uh, going into cheaper marketplaces. We can devalue the product. We can drop the pricing. We could just sell direct. Um, but we're going to, we're going to stay strong and disciplined on the pathway of supporting retailers um, there's many brands now just selling direct and don't really care for the retail landscape, but it's the retailers who build brands. And I've seen brands that have used the retail network to put them in a position. And they said, thank you, retail. I don't need you anymore. I'm just going to sell direct on Amazon. That's not us. Uh, so we, we're here to support them and also innovate. There's a, we've moved from the water to dry land. We've taken that very strong scientific approach. We're using aerodynamics, wind tunnels, exciting new fabrics, uh, exciting new chemical coatings to reduce um, heart rate, to reduce core temperature, to do all kinds of things. So they just need to be ready to be deluged with some amazing new products. Some learnings that we're going to have from Tokyo Olympics are going to be around thermoregulation. And and, and also me bringing together some of the best brains in the sport, uh, which I call the Fellowship of Speed. We've just launched the fellowship, and, and that fellowship will be throwing out some really quirky, amazing ideas and products. So, you know, if you're my distributor listening, I'd say sit sit back, hold tight, and scream if you want to go faster. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, you, you say you're into, into land, so you're, um, you're, you produce equipment for cycling teams? and Yeah, and we've just moved into the velodrome with one of the world's most exciting teams, the Hoob Watt Bike Team, who are complete disruptors. They've taken on national governing bodies, USA, New Zealand, Germany, and they're beating them, and they're beating them by tearing up the rule book and doing it their way and taking the riders they have in a, in a four-man pursuit team and playing to the rider's strengths rather than making fit into a standard traditional team pursuit model. And, and they won a World Cup in London, and, they, and they're beating teams with £25 million budgets. These guys have £60,000 but a huge amount of enthusiasm from the city of Derby, which is where they're based, which has now been christened Darbados, the new home of cycling in Britain. <laughs> How exciting. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, amazing. Amazing. It's been great talking to you. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling very, very inspired by the conversation. And I, I wonder if you've got maybe a final message that you'd like to leave us with. Um. Uh, my message would be to anybody out there who thinks they're not good enough, they can't do it or they're not smart enough. Actually, it's the other ones that are perhaps not smart enough. 
because they can't see you coming. And if they can't see you coming, you're stealth and you have you 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 have a position that you can score some points on. So don't don't think you're not good enough. Everybody's good enough. Give it a go and uh, and believe in yourself. Excellent. Well, it was brilliant talking to you. I've really enjoyed it, Dean. Thank you very much for joining Thank us you, today. Um, so a lot, lots to take from that interview about innovation, about uh, thinking, you know, thinking differently. Where do you get your inspiration from? There's uh, Dean there with his uh, surrounded by his, his toys that he didn't have in his childhood, but they're inspiring the products. Uh, utilizing best practice in terms of research uh, and some of the principles that you know, Dean has got about uh, you know, overcoming you know, your fear and uh, just, just getting on with it um, and uh, maybe being taking some brave leaps like uh, you know, if you're creating products um, you know, linking them in with uh, people who are out there who others, others aspire to as well. You know, the idea of giving uh, within your um, within your business and being generous and, uh, and and inspiring your your sort of employees and people and keeping grounded as well. Um, so I think lots and lots of exciting um, ideas and thoughts to think about there. And on next week's show, and next week's show is a part two because uh, I was interviewed with Gene Ernie. Gene is one of the founding members of NMP uh, movement. He uh, introduced it across uh, Europe many years ago, but an amazing guy who I'm collaborating with at the moment. We're looking about how to elevate leadership in this kind of world today. And we were interviewed by Stephen Morris, the artist and, and marketeer. And we're going to do a part two interview next week on elevating leadership with uh, with myself and Gene in the hot seat. So do join us next week. Once again, huge thank you. If you've got any questions, send them to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Look at Hoob Design, H-W-B-Design.com. Check out the wetsuits and all the products for ideas and inspiration and uh, I would certainly recommend uh, their attire. They're um, creative and cool and well-researched. So uh, do go and check that out. Once again, take care and have a great week. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.